listening to Resurrection Life Podcast with your host, Father Steve Matson and Richard Budd, the podcast of the Church of the Resurrection in Lansing, Michigan. In today's episode, we talk about what we did on our summer vacation. We hear a reflection on discerning God's will. And we hear a poem by St. Francis of Assisi, The Canticle of Brother Son, read by Maria O'Brien. Welcome to Resurrection Life Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. This is uh, your host, Richard Budd, and with me as always... Father Steve. Well, Father Steve. How you doing? I'm, I forgot that we did these. I know. I, we had to figure out how to do this again, <laughs> setting things so up, minute, all how does that cables, cord and plug into renew that? the batteries, because they've been uh, wasting away <laughs> in, in our absence. Uh, so I uh, hope you all didn't miss us too bad, but our last episode... Well, we got- we are, I'm, I'm hoping that you missed us terribly. Uh, <laughs> some of you may say, missed you. <laughs> our last episode was about summer rest, and... Uh, and we took one. And we took one. So... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, what we did over the summer, um, some of the big news that happened during the summer. And um, so, uh, first of all, it's the day after Labor Day weekend, and that's always typically seen right, as kind the of, end of summer. That's right. I was I was driving out to my, uh, my brother's house, and I saw, as many of you have seen, I'm sure, if you went north or even drove around mid-Michigan, uh, you saw the, the hint of... The colors. Coming. I just told my wife yesterday. I was like, "That tree's starting to change." Yeah, no, it. it which is, I'm so glad we're in a part of the country where we've got hardwoods that turn, mm-hmm. and we can enjoy the beauty. It's, yeah. it's, it's fabulous. All of these times are, are a great gift, but uh, we we did indeed take a, a summer rest, and you and your family rested a little bit, but also a welcomed. Bit, depend on it on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Welcomed. And we had our fifth. Uh, I think we just. I think we mentioned that maybe in the last time. Uh, uh, Felicity Jane, um, yeah. you had baptized two Felicities in a row, I think. That's right. If my memory right. serves. Yeah. So she's uh, she's kind of gotten past that newborn stage. Um, she now wants to sit with dad rather than just constantly de- needing to be with mom. So that's been a nice transition. And I think I think I was seeing on Sunday. Uh, no, was it Saturday? It was Saturday at the the wedding reception. Your Oldest is now monitoring football with dad. So no, his second oldest. Second oldest, okay. John Paul. Is, oh, John Paul. Yeah. Okay. He's just gotten to the point where. Oh, that's right. That's right. Your appreciate- oldest son. Your oldest, yeah. yeah, he appreciates football now, mm-hmm. which is kind of you know I'm like the Grinch. My heart has just grown a little bit. That's right. <laughs> Something new I can share with my son. Uh, before he always would complain when that football game was he's, on. He's written for the Spartans, isn't he? Uh no, not at all. <laughs> I don't even know if he knows they exist. <laughs> wow! 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 Such freedom, right? (laughs) There's a lot of opportunity for those of us who can help them see grander vistas. I've talked to um, uh, to Marcus Wells before. He's a a fellow Michigan uh, fan. And once his son started going to school, he started wearing green and white. And his poor father's heart broke. Well... (laughs) Go Shamrocks, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it's uh, there's 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 multiple greens, green and whites. Yeah, so. yeah. So um, one of the big things that happened this summer, fathers, you went on a trip to to Scotland. Yeah, I think just before we uh, uh, um, paused our podcast recording, um, 
which was for a variety of reasons, by the way. It wasn't that we were planning to take the summer off, but no. it just happened. Um, anyway, I, I had the great gift, and, and I preached about it when I got back, but Sean and Liz O'Neill are from Scotland, and uh, so uh, the two of us, um, uh, my brother Dan, uh, Another friend, a mutual friend of the O'Neills and, and uh, ours, joined us in a trip. And one of the, I've never been to Scotland, and uh, I've been to um, England. I went to Oxford and Cambridge for a conference in 1998, so quite a while ago, uh, for the 100th anniversary of, of C.S. Lewis's birth. Uh, but uh, the, the great, it was... It was, while it was very, very hot here, this has been a beautiful summer, as all of us know, mm-hmm. who've been living in, in mid-Michigan. But I think the hottest part of the year was when we were over there in Scotland, and, and the highs were in the upper 60s. And I'm talking about Fahrenheit, not Celsius. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but it was the thing that I took away. We uh, spent time in Glasgow and then uh, went up to the Highlands for a week and uh, hiked and uh, just enjoyed the scenery, good food, good drink. But the, the high point of the whole trip was to see the family culture that mm-hmm. the O'Neills uh, and the McGills had fostered. There was a great celebration of uh, wedding anniversaries and birthdays and uh, uh, ordination and anniversary uh, of Father Joe McGill's um, ordination. And uh, it was uh, remarkable to see how they uh, enjoy each other's company and as I said, they just had sing-alongs uh, mm-hmm. of folk songs and some some country music from the U.S. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, all right. Johnny Cash. <laughs> oh, he he okay. made an appearance. Right. Uh, not he didn't make an appearance, but his music did. <laughs> wow, this was a rock party. I know. I, <laughs> but it, it was. Uh, and what I saw was that this way of being able to have life together that is not digital. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did. To be honest, look at their phones for the lyrics. Some of them. But that was it. Sure. There was communion in that family. And the high point of the trip really was just being a part of that, being invited into it. And I think my takeaway is we want to foster families doing those kinds of things more and more. And that was one of the reasons we did Whitson, one of the reasons we're doing Twelfth Night, one of the reasons that at the most recent Oxros we had the uh, – talent show, family mm-hmm. talent show. Uh, we want to invite families to enjoy each other's company and to sing together. It doesn't have to be praise and worship. It can be just cultural sure. time together and yeah. investing in relationships. Making music. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And poetry as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of, uh, I don't know what it is about traveling to Europe, but um, those there's something about kind of old culture or just knowing how to be together. I don't want to overly um, praise Europe because, uh, you know, we all know that there's plenty of problems with secularism and things like that in Europe. But there's something about the age of the place gives it a certain ability um, to to enjoy just human culture together. Well, and I, I, think it, I think it's both. I think you're right. I think it is the, the age of the place. It's also the fact that... Within a mile, many of the family members still live mm, close by. Yeah. And that's beginning to change. Obviously, the O'Neills live here, and some of their nieces and nephews have moved stateside. But there is something about being in the same place for generations, mm-hmm. if not hundreds of years, generations. Yeah. That sense of, this is where we're from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think something is lost with 
looking for the best income. Uh, where are the best income opportunities? Although that's not to be uh, dismissed as a as a factor, but having a community that can support us in our work uh, is, is vital. Yeah, a few years ago, I read a book. I think it was called Happy City or something along those lines, and it was all about how the automobile not only changed cities because you had to widen the roads and whatnot to to have an automobile automobile go through but it also changed cities because now people could drive to get to places and so you didn't have people living as close together they could spread out they could go out of the town to the big box store and have a huge parking lot Um, whereas before you had the town was close together within walking distance you had all the stores uh, along the main street with the furniture store and the butcher and the cheese maker or whatever um, that were all separate um, and so people were much more closer together than they are now. And now everybody's kind of isolated in their suburban houses. And Well, and this, this is one of the problems that Detroit deals with, that Motor City, as it was called, uh, not so much now, but uh, they, the, the whole premise of that city was built on the automobile and people driving it. And as the population decreased, you had a lot of open space. And so they've got problems. Mm-hmm. They've got problems. They've, they've got land and houses that no longer are needed. And that's caused some problems with crime and things like that. Uh, you know, the, the, the intimacy, the smallness, the closeness um, of proximity, uh, it, it is something that we've lost. I, I worry, though, about some of the visions of World Economic Forum where we're all in one big hive mm-hmm. with sure. some green space. So there's, there's a sense in which the, the, the quaintness of being able to go down to your corner butcher. And, and I am worried. We've talked about this before about, um, you know, who, where do people go to buy tires? Do they go to the local tire store or do they go to Belt Tire, Sam's, Costco, um, you know, discount tire and i'm not criticizing it but there's a sense in which all of those small businesses are struggling yeah you don't you don't know the person that cuts your meat no you know or raises your your food so so we're there's something that's lost and there isn't anything that we can do to control that but i think it is worth realizing that the choices we make day by day uh to move to stay have a ramifications for ourselves, for the health of the community, for the health of the church, and uh, and for the health of the civilization. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, move on to the other <laughs> the other big news story of yeah, the summer. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think you were actually in Scotland when it happened on June twenty fourth. That's right. That's right. The news that Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey were no longer. That's right. Overturned. Yeah. Thanks be to God. An answer to our prayers for nearly uh, a half century. My entire life has yeah. been under Roe yep. versus Wade. Yeah. And you know, when you you know, I've been to about ten or twelve marches for life, and one of the common phrases you would see there was, "I survived Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade will not survive me." And I always, it was kind of a quaint thought, you know, like, but if you would have really pressed me, I don't know that I would have actually believed that. Yeah. So it, it almost just was surreal uh, the moment it, it, it finally was struck down. We were at, um, it was the final day of vacation Bible school here at the parish. And they had a big family kind of gathering and, and meal and whatnot. And um, 
I wanted to get home so that I could be ready when the, the decision came. Um, I had my doubts if it was going to come out that day because there, I think there had been one more uh, day of, of decisions that was planned. Um, and so we left and as we were driving home, uh, my phone started blowing up with people telling me Roe v. Wade had, had uh, been struck Well, down. we had had the leaked decision. Was it February or yeah, something? Or maybe a little bit later. Maybe it was March or Okay, April. yeah, I can't recall. But, uh, but the leaked decision, uh, and one of the things everybody wondered about, would, would there be some strong arming behind the, the scenes and that the final decision wouldn't come out as strong as that draft decision made mm-hmm. it seem, and that was not the case. It, it uh, was basically the the argument of that leaked draft mm-hmm. decision uh, that was the final ruling. Yeah, and I was aware of the case, because uh, it's my job to be aware of things that are pro-life and whatnot. Um, I was aware of the case back in December, and, and the arguments were being made, and, and it, it seemed like the justices were leaning towards striking it down. And so there was hope, but when you've grown up for your entire life with this thing being around, you just kind of talk yourself well, out and, of it. And you, you talked about how it seems surreal to you that, that it was no longer um, in force. But it really was a, it's, it's a, uh, it, it, it's a dividing line because those of us on the pro-life side thought the decision was outrageous at the start. Mm -hmm. And of course it should be overturned. Mm -hmm. Others on the other side, and talk about surreal, they're coming out and saying that ectopic pregnancies, women are going to die because of ectopic Mm -hmm. pregnancies, or or that uh, doctors who help women with miscarriages are going to be prosecuted. It's all this histrionic, uh, no pun intended, Mm -hmm. reactions to uh, the, the challenges that women might deal with. Well, what did Roe do? Return the question to the people mm-hmm. at the state level, yeah. which is where it always ought to have been constitutionally. Mm-hmm. So you, you have the left, the aggressive activist left, thinking that justices should always make decisions that conform to their worldview and not the Constitution itself. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, We've been dealing with an overreaction here in the state of Michigan. Uh, I hope that when you hear this, a decision will be will have been made by the Board of Canvassers not to allow the poorly worded and outrageous ballot proposal here in Michigan to overturn that 1931 law that prohibited abortion. Uh, but they're, they're just apoplectic, and they're realizing, wait a minute, the rest of the world says 15 weeks— that's that's 15, 18 weeks. Here, it's all nine months in that, that ballot mm-hmm. initiative. So God help us from that, and, and we'll, we'll have more to talk about should, God forbid, that ballot initiative be on the 2022 ballot here in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah, The the rea- you bring up some of the reaction afterwards. I mean, I think um, some people were of the impression that this was just now uh, gone away forever. And like, yay, we've won the fight. Um, and uh, and it was, you know, a bit of an effort to say, no, the fight is actually, this was like the beginning of the end. I mean, I'm sorry, the end of the beginning rather than the beginning of the end. That's right. And there's there's much more that needs to be done 
um, not only to outlaw abortion, but to make sure that women and children are cared for. Um, you know, there's going to be that many more women uh, coming to knock on our doors. Uh, That's right. Looking for help. Well, and, and the, the, the politicians demonizing uh, crisis pregnancy oh, centers, right? Yeah. As if they are doing the work of evil. Yeah. Whereas they are actually not trying to, they're trying to help the, the girls and women realize that this life is human. Well, they and think it is worth living. Once it gets out there that there are actually people that are trying to help you have other choices you start to erode the demand for abortion and that becomes a threat if you think that abortion is this this sacrosanct right yeah it is it is uh, I mean, as many commentators have said it's like the sacrament of the mm-hmm. left mm-hmm. Uh, it is shout your abortion and it is sad and i would say frankly uh Demonic, mm-hmm. the the celebration of death mm-hmm. that, that that we've seen in some quarters, not not to a person, not not to a man, or not to a woman, but uh, God help us. And we do need to, as a church, and as men and women of of goodwill, come around these women and girls who are in difficult situations mm-hmm. to help them find a way to say yes yeah. to life. Yeah, and so we, that's been one of the things that we've been working on over at the the diocese. That's great. Is is I don't think I'm I don't think I'm, we're ready to kind of announce them, but we've got some pretty big initiatives that we're yeah, putting forward. Yeah, well, let's forward. plan to, to talk about that yeah. in a coming uh, upcoming episode. Okay, um, where we can uh, we can really come alongside women and and let them know that they don't have to sacrifice their child. Um, that life is not hopeless. Uh, and they've really got um, somebody to accompany them, somebody to befriend them, um, and uh, not abandon them. So that's great. So yeah. So now it's, we've we've lived a summer of uh, no Roe v. Wade. Um, we haven't really kind of experienced that yet in our state because we keep having our own law um, delayed. Um, but as you mentioned, there's also this constitutional amendment coming up. We'll we'll talk about that in detail. Yeah. Uh, later, but. Um, we just need to keep up the prayers and uh, keep finding ways to support uh, those pro-life ministries and um, and helping people out. So, Amen. We are uh, we are to pursue the common good, which isn't just our sense of what is right and good and true, but and we do it for ourselves and for the broader community and and our voice, our political effort as it applies to these issues needs to be part of the. Um, the public square. Mm-hmm. We need our voices and our efforts to be a part of it uh, and trusting the results to God. Absolutely. Well, that being said, now we're, like we mentioned, it's it's post-Labor Day. We've The school year's begun. Um, just had the uh, the welcome back parent meeting with uh, Mr. Allstott That's last right. week. Yeah. Um, and uh, we've got some new teachers. You know, my daughter's in first grade now, so we've got Miss Starr. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to hear. No, a lot we had about- we had three uh, three teachers. Uh, actually, four teachers. Um, three decided to stay home with their own children, uh, and one grandchildren. And so we've hired uh, new new staff members, and uh, so grateful to have good hires come yeah. in and uh, be able to take the place of those. I really do think that. Uh, Hiring well 
whatever the enterprise, school or parish, is vital. And uh, Jacob uh, and Chris have worked with uh, the team, and, and they, they've hired well. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, we could praise the school as, as we often do, um, and it would be easy to do that. Um, but I just thought it would be interesting to talk about um, the question of the school's approach to education. Jacob started to talk about that at the um, at the uh, parent welcome back parent night, and he talked about this idea of the trivium and the quadrivium and 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 teaching not just facts and knowledge, but also teaching children how to think. That's right. Um, so how to approach the world um, rather than a set of data or, uh, to to kind of like analyze and 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 form to your own benefit. It's to go out and greet the world as as a, as a gift from God. I do. I do think that this is the, if we want to put it, uh, kind of liberal arts uh, or classical uh, forms of education. We're not slavish to that, but we do want to help students uh, learn how to think, not what to think. Mm-hmm. Although how to think should lead to what the truth is and what is good and what is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jacob uh, and the other members of the team would be able to, to give uh, more, uh, put more flesh on those bones than I could, mm-hmm. even though you know, my background is education. The focus wasn't uh, the classical mm-hmm. tradition of education or liberal arts, liberal uh, education. And, uh, but I think it is the way that we can actually meet students where they are and help them understand the world and each other and God. Well, I think this is the clearly. gift. This is the gift that Catholic education is, because if we're just going to try to replicate what happens in the public school, then it's just going to come down to well, who's getting better test scores, and are the if we're getting better test scores, are they so much greater that you'd be willing to pay us to teach your child um, rather than go to a free school and what we have that's different is this approach to education that helps the whole person flower and to see the world in a different way. Yeah, the, when I was in um, uh, grad school, we we talked about three different uses uh, for education. So th- the exchange value, so mm-hmm. I can take my credential and I can, I can exchange it for something. The use value, what can you actually do with it? Mm-hmm. And then education for democratic uh, civilization, so Mm. democracy, creating citizens who are able to. And I I think the fact is the Catholic tradition is much better at doing those three, all three of those, than the average public school because they're focusing in many cases on more the ideological element, trying to get people to learn how to think, what to think rather than than how to think. And I think we're going to lose out on our abilities to actually get things done and to uh, govern ourselves well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was lucky enough to go to a, um, in my undergrad, I went to a school that was focused on a classical type of curriculum and, you know, studying Euclidean geometry. And, Where'd you go? A uh, small little school in New Hampshire called Magdalen College. Okay. Um, Anthony Esselin now is there. So people may have started to mm-hmm. hear about it sure. now. Um, but you know, one semester or no, actually it was a, a full year of a course called, um, seeing and drawing where the main, 
the main assignment was you had to pick a tree out on campus and draw that tree all year long. And the point was, there are things about a tree that we just walk by every day and just don't notice it. Um, and we can just, you know, not even be aware. But if you're forced to sit and look at this tree, you know, once or twice a week, uh, you start to notice things. Uh, not only in its like actual specific details, but how it's affecting the world around it. You know, you start to notice yeah. the things around the tree that are affected because the tree is there that wouldn't have happened if the tree wasn't there. And so you start to understand the interconnectedness of the world. Did the tree last the year? Did it survive? It did. Okay. Well, I, I made the mistake of picking the largest tree <laughs> on campus. Okay. And so I could never actually fully draw it. <laughs> but, you know, just things like that, teaching people how to see mm-hmm. or how to, how to un- listen to music. And to actually appreciate what's going on in the music. I do, I do think that, that we have lost the ability to pay attention uh, at any kind of duration. Right? How many people scroll? Is this oh. interesting? No. Is this interesting? No. We don't give, uh, we don't give anything uh, enough time uh, to really explain itself or an individual, him or herself. It's almost uh, an instant reaction. Mm-hmm. Do I like it or not? Mm-hmm. Instead of, what, what are you about? What is this tree? What, what difference does it make that it exists? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the point where I think if most people were to hear that story, the first reaction is like, you did what? <laughs> you know, Because we don't even understand the value it does seem like a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, I, could, I could tell you, I could give a time lapse and you could just watch it all four seasons, <laughs> right? That's how we would think yeah. about it mm-hmm. instead of saying, and even in Germany, right, they, there's Wissenschaft and, and Kentness and uh, they are very uh, prone, those in Europe, to uh, educate children inside and outside. Mm-hmm. And so you, you get to know a tree by hugging the tree, mm-hmm. smelling the tree, getting close to the tree. I don't know if you did that with your uh, tree, no, did you? No, I you never didn't? hugged my tree. I climbed my I, tree. W- was it too big to hug? Or uh, you yes, didn't? it was way too big. Okay, right. <laughs> when I tell but you this you, is you, a big tree, okay. it's a big tree. So, but, but I do think there is a sense in which, so they've, they've talked about blindfolding, taking, taking a student to the tree and having them embrace it and, and hug it, and then taking them back out and then go find your tree. That sense of what are the ways that we know? Mm-hmm. It's more than just memorization. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about experience. And I think for us uh, here at, at our school and in Catholic education, we want to, to do that more and more, even though we're kind of bound uh, to the urban uh, limits. Uh, we also want to help people uh, increasingly learn to use skills. And we're, we're talking with Lansing Catholic uh, and, and they're talking with the diocese about trades and how we can help the next generation actually get a, a way to know the, the, the truth about the world, but also to be able to work in practical ways yeah. to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just speaking of the fact that Labor Day was, was yesterday, um, what is work and, and, and can all work be done on a computer? Uh, I, I, obviously, the answer is no to that. But for many of us, that is work. Everything's done through a computer screen. And, well, so and, and can, let's just be honest. 
it is hard to find the satisfaction in that. Of, I, oh. I mow my own lawn. It's a postage stamp size lawn, but I know that when I'm done, I've done something. Oh, yeah. I was a mason tender for a summer in college. The most backbreaking work I've ever done. But at the end of the day, there was a basement there. That's right. You know, now when I leave the, my office, it doesn't look that much different than when That's I right. got in there in the morning. So well, we're, we're beginning this new school year and mm-hmm. always new beginnings. We'll, we'll talk in a, in a future episode about uh, the Resurrection Life course, and that's a, uh, an invitation to new beginnings. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have some updates on uh, whether or not that ballot initiative has been approved by the Board of Canvassers and uh, looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. All right. So for one more week, this is Rich. And uh, for one more season. <laughs> now we're beginning again and, and uh, appreciate those who give us uh, encouraging remarks. Hopefully you're edified by this and the other aspects of the podcast. Uh, know that we're praying for you, all of our listeners. God bless you all. God bless. How can we know the will of God for our lives? How do we know if the decisions we make are in keeping with what God wants for us? In the following reflection from Sean O'Neill, we explore the three modes that St. Ignatius of Loyola recommends for discerning God's will. Discerning God's Will What does God want from me? How can I find out which decisions to make in life? How can I be certain that the decisions I make are in keeping with God's will? These are questions that you may have mulled over from time to time, especially when you come to a crossroads in life and you wonder what to do next. St Ignatius of Loyola developed a method for answering these questions, which has been used for centuries by Christian men and women to navigate a way through the decisions of life and make sure that whatever we decide is in keeping with God's will for us. Doing the will of God depends, first of all, on our own disposition. How much do we really want to do his will? If he asked us to do something difficult, would we still be prepared to do it? Discerning and doing the will of God depends on this open and trusting disposition, and unless we are all in, we don't really have the right attitude to discerning God's will. If, for example, we have already made a decision in our heart and are simply looking for God to confirm that decision, then that's not going to help us. In order to prepare ourselves to make a decision, there are certain things that we should do. We should attend the Eucharist as often as we can. The Eucharist is the place of encounter with Jesus and it helps us to be open to want to do his will. Similarly, reading the Bible, especially the Gospels, is a real help to knowing how God thinks about things and being in tune with his plan for your life. Also, we should try to find a space in our daily life for prayerful silence. Silence allows us to be open to hearing the Lord. We should seek spiritual direction. If you don't have a spiritual director, is there a friend who is spiritual and faithful to the Christian way of life whom you can consult? Journaling is a good way of recording what the Lord has been saying to us in prayer, and it can help to go over our notes from time to time. 
But say we are open to God and we have made these preparations. How do we work out what God wants from us? It's worth saying that St. Ignatius's method for discernment refers to situations in which we have to choose between two goods. In other words, two morally right choices. It goes without saying that if the choice is between something moral and something immoral, we should always make the moral choice. St. Ignatius proposes three ways or modes for discerning which of two good choices we should take. The first mode is when you have what he calls clarity beyond doubting. This is when you have complete confidence that a particular choice is from the Lord. A specific choice is shown to someone, their will is drawn to it, and they are absolutely sure that it is truly God's will. This is not the same thing as choosing something that you're really attracted to. Because bear in mind that your disposition should be a willingness to do anything that God asks of you. If the first mode is not present, then you should move on to the second mode, which he calls attraction of the heart. Here Ignatius talks about spiritual consolation and desolation. Consolation is when we feel God's presence in prayer and are aware of his love in a strong way. Desolation is the opposite. It's when we do not feel God's presence, when we feel discouraged spiritually, and when we feel a move away from God. In this second mode, Ignatius advises us to be aware of which choice we feel attracted to and which choice we feel repelled by. When you are in desolation, which choice do you recoil from? Which choice displeases you the most? That may well be the choice that God is asking you to make. Conversely, when you are in consolation and feel God's presence, which choice are you attracted to? That may well be the choice God is asking of you. If one or other of these experiences happens repeatedly, either an attraction or a resistance to a particular choice, then it may be a sign of which option corresponds most to the will of God. This is a kind of simplified version of Ignatius's modes. However, there's a lot more on spiritual consolation and desolation in St. Ignatius's rules for the discernment of spirits that explains how this dynamic works. It's worth going through those rules yourself in more detail. If the will of God does not become clear by going through either of the first two modes, then the third and last mode for discerning the will of God comes into play. Ignatius calls this third mode the preponderance of reasons. Essentially, in this mode, you weigh up the pros and cons of each choice in terms of the spiritual benefit. What are the advantages and disadvantages of each option? Which option has a preponderance of reasons why you should choose it? But it bears repeating the reasons should not be based on material gain, social advantage, increased publicity or influence or any other worldly consideration, but on faith and the greater service of God. The question we should be asking is, which option will lead to God's greater glory? That is, which option will serve to make God known and loved more in human hearts? 
Ignatius offers a few pointers to help with discerning the third mode. First, we should clarify what the options are. Next, we should make sure that our disposition is ready to accept whatever God's will is. We should ask for God's help in moving our will towards the right choice. Write down the advantages and disadvantages of each choice. Then we should actually take a deep breath and make the decision. And lastly, we should ask God to confirm the decision that we have made. Another way Ignatius suggests for approaching the decision as to what the will of God is, is to ask a few questions. If it were someone else who had to make the choice I face, what would I advise them? If I were at the end of my life on this earth, what choice would I wish I had made? And when I come before God on the day of judgment, what choice will I wish I had made? There is, of course, a way in which we can work out whether we've made the right choice according to the will of God. We can look at the fruit of our decision. If we have gone through this process of discernment with good will, with the right disposition, and being open to whatever God wants for us, we can be sure that whatever we decide will work out for the good. God will not abandon us if we make a mistake, or remove his protection from us, or allow the consequences of any bad decisions we've made to collapse upon us. Remember the words of St. Paul in Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God loves us and is on our side. He will not hide his will from us if we seek him honestly and with love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are not a God who remains hidden. You want to communicate your will to me. So I ask you to reveal to me what you want me to do in this life. Give me a willing and open heart. Give me a heart of love that desires only to please you and to do your will. Guide my decisions and show me which choices I should make in order to best please you and carry out your will. Amen. We finish this episode with a poem by St. Francis of Assisi, The Canticle of Brother Son, read by Maria O'Brien. St. Francis of Assisi. Francis of Assisi was a 12th century Italian saint who chose a life of poverty and obscurity, and yet was one of the most influential personages in the Middle Ages. Francis is one of the most venerated Catholic figures in Western Christianity, and has been an inspiration to men and women throughout the ages. His example of surrender to the divine will has spurred many on to seek a simpler life and to detach themselves from the lures of worldly concerns. And yet, although Francis was a mystic, he did not lead a monastic life, but concerned himself with preaching and evangelizing throughout the length and breadth of Italy and beyond, even traveling to South Egypt during the Fifth Crusade to try to convert the Sultan there. Francis's mother was French, and he spoke French growing up in her household. Some say that his sense of poetry came from his mother. Whatever the case may be, his beautiful canticle of brother-son 
shows a sensitivity to poetic expression, especially in the use he made of repetition. The following poem by Francis demonstrates this skill and it has an incantatory feel to it. This English version is a translation from the now extinct native Umbrian dialect in which Francis wrote it. The style owes much to the tradition of the traveling troubadours that were common at the time, and the poem praises God for his manifestations in nature. Canticle of Brother Son by St. Francis of Assisi. Most high, all powerful, all good Lord, all praise is yours, all glory, all honor, and all blessing. To you alone, most high, do they belong. No mortal lips are worthy to pronounce your name. Be praised, my Lord, through all your creatures, especially through my Lord, brother, son, who brings the day and you give light through him. And he is beautiful and radiant in all his splendor. Of you, most high, he bears the likeness. Be praised, my Lord, through sister moon and the stars. In the heavens, you have made them bright, precious and beautiful. Be praised, my Lord, through brothers wind and air and clouds and storms and all the weather through which you gave your creatures sustenance. Be praised, my Lord, through sister water. She is very useful and humble and precious and pure. Be praised, my Lord, through brother fire, through whom you brighten the night. He is beautiful and cheerful and powerful and strong. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister, Mother Earth, who feeds us and rules us and produces various fruits with colored flowers and herbs. Be praised, my Lord, through those who forgive for love of you, through those who endure sickness and trial. Happy those who endure in peace, for by you, Most High, they will be crowned. Be praised, my Lord, through our sister, bodily death, from whom's embrace no living person can escape. Woe to those who die in mortal sin. Happy those she finds doing your most holy will. The second death can do no harm to them. Praise and bless my Lord and give thanks and serve him with great humility. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of Resurrection Life Podcast. Please tune in next time for more conversation, reflections, and Catholic culture. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to drop us a line to give us feedback or suggest future topics to feature, write us at podcast at corelancing.org. You can find the Church of the Resurrection online at corelancing.org. Thanks for listening, and God bless.